on, everybody, and welcome back to the Lakers Outsiders podcast. This time coming up after a Lakers win, thankfully. Uh, I am not your usual host. Again, Gary is uh, out of town for, for this weekend, but this is Hani Amadian taking over the podcast duties uh, for game two against the Houston Rockets. And I am joined uh, with another one of our distinguished uh, colleagues, Mr. Kyle Hartway. Kyle, how are you doing? Uh, doing pretty well after the Lakers win tonight. Uh, definitely a better game than game one. Feeling pretty good about the rest of the season, or series. Yeah. Um, so the Lakers obviously came out on top in game two, uh, winning 117 to 109. Uh, definitely a roller coaster of a game. Lakers come out uh, really hot to start, take a 21 point lead early on. And the Rockets come back and actually take a lead in the third quarter. But ultimately, the Lakers behind uh, 34 points from Anthony Davis and 28 points from LeBron uh, pull out the victory. So just to get started before we we really get into our uh, discussion, just want to remind everybody about where you can find all all of our work. The podcast, obviously, you can find on any of your favorite uh, streaming platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Podbean, um, and YouTube as well. Uh, we are hopefully going to have some changes to the podcast on Tuesday after game three. So uh, stay tuned for that, uh, for those updates as well. Uh, as far as the website as a whole, you can see our work at LakersOutsiders.com. Uh, follow us on social media at Lakers Outsiders, both on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook, uh, just Lakers Outsiders. Search for us there and like the page. Um, and please give us your ratings, reviews, subscriptions, all of that good stuff. Uh, both for the podcast and for the website as a whole. It really does help us out. Um, all right, let's get started. My first question is just you know an overarching one. What was your main takeaway or reaction to uh, the Lakers win tonight? Uh, well, aside from you know the Rockets absolutely just shooting flamethrowers from beyond the arc, um, I felt like the defense was a lot better in this game than it was in game one. There were some rotations on defense that didn't quite work out. Uh, but overall, I was pleased and uh, I was happy with the guys that they were leaving open. Um, I was a little surprised when like Russell Westbrook would get the ball that he would end up shooting the three and not driving in and trying to get like a running floater or like try to take it to the hoop. But um. Yeah, I mean, and then offensively, uh, AD and LeBron obviously took over. Rajon Rondo helped out a ton on the offensive end. Uh, Markeith Morris obviously had an incredible shooting spell off of the bench early on. But overall, it was just a better team game for everyone. I'm you know worried about JaVale and his health, and hopefully he gets better. But um, yeah, overall, I, I was very pleased with the game. Even in in consideration of that Rockets run in the third, if we can have the Rockets have a huge run like that and still win the game by eight, I feel like we're in a pretty good place in this series. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was my main takeaway as well. Um, the The Rockets are a team just based purely on the fact that they take so many threes and they took 53 tonight. Um, they will have moments in a game usually where they are shooting lights out like they did in the third quarter tonight. And they will have moments in a game like the fourth quarter and then the first quarter where they miss a ton of them and being able to kind of withstand those runs 
And, and the Lakers, to be fair, didn't do a great job of that. And I was a little concerned. There were moments where I felt like they were kind of wilting under the pressure of, man, what are we going to do? The Rockets are hitting every single shot. Maybe it's just not our night. But ultimately what happened is that they really pulled through in the fourth quarter. And I think a lot of that is obviously a credit to LeBron and his experience and just being in these situations. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get more to the fourth quarter, but uh, his ability to come in in that lineup where, where the Rockets had James Harden sitting and the Lakers making a run and taking back the lead and then never relinquishing it again. Um, that is my main takeaway. And my main source of optimism moving forward is that uh, even, even with the Rockets playing the game that they want to play, which is just drilling three-pointers all over the place, chucking them uh, and taking a lot of them early in the shot clock, Lakers were able to kind of withstand that and get enough offensively to match them and play enough defense to really limit them. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of go a little bit in order. The first quarter, obviously, the Lakers come out guns blazing. They made a ton of shots. They played incredible defense I, I, for, for most of that quarter. I thought they were uh, had crisp rotations, forcing the Rockets to make a ton of passes and take shots late in the shot clock um, and rushing them. Uh and a lot of that, to me, came off the back of the bench. That The game kind of started, started slow for both teams. Once the bench lineups kind of got in there, and, you know, you mentioned Rondo and Markeith, those two in particular were just amazing. We'll start with Markeith a little bit because that's somebody that Gary and I have both talked about, and I also talked about it uh, in our podcast uh, after game one and the loss where we talked to uh, Justin Jett, who's a Rockets fan, and we were kind of getting his perspective. Morris to me is somebody that can be a major X factor for this series because as I've said before, he's uh, his ability to guard wings uh, for the Rockets, guard the Rockets wings, their, their, their quickness, but also still kind of play big and give you that toughness on the glass. And then like he showed tonight, give you a little bit of spacing is just really crucial to me. What did you see from, from Markeith today? Um, and do you think he made enough of an impact that Vogel is going to trust them and play him more minutes moving forward. I hope so. Um, I personally feel like, you know, six of eight from the field, you know, just one foul, a couple, you know, like f- I think it was five rebounds. That's, that's great. Like that's what you want off the bench for uh, LA, especially, you know, some guy to knock down shots and get the offense going on that end is it's you, you can't not play him based off of, you know, this game. And I, I feel like he's he is kind of the X factor of this series, like Dwight was in the first series, where Dwight came off the bench. He kind of bullied the Portland bigs a little bit. Um, Houston doesn't have any bigs to bully, so Markeith is perfect for that because he can, like you said, he can bully down low and really take it to like PJ Tucker, or anyone on the Rockets. But then also he can guard them when you know needed out on the on the wings for those threes that they desperately want to take. Yeah, and I think matching Tucker's toughness especially is so important for the Lakers. Tucker is arguably the most important player for Houston in this series because of his ability to guard somebody like Anthony Davis. And obviously AD was on fire tonight and nobody could really guard him. But he was helped a lot because of early foul trouble for Tucker. And one of those fouls, I I think it was Tucker's third foul uh, that came in the second quarter, it was drawn by Keith literally just boxing him out, which is something that other guys on the team weren't doing. Tucker had a few offensive rebounds in this game, and it was very, very frustrating. But Markeith at one point uh, in that second quarter, just honestly something as simple as just 
putting your body on him and forcing him to jump over you to try and force that rebound. And it, you know, he gets kind of a cheap foul that he shouldn't be getting. And that gives AD just, just that much more space, just that much more ability to get a good shot off. Um, obviously Keith's shooting tonight was amazing. He made his first four threes, uh, scored 16 points, which I believe is, is, uh, uh, is the most he's scored as a Laker so far. He was just incredible. Um, the other guy, as we mentioned, I think Rajon Rondo, man, after a pretty awful game in game one and kind of getting the brunt of the criticism from the fans in terms of how the Lakers played and, and how they lost, Rondo came out today and I think he was amazing, especially in the first shift that he played in the first half. And I think a lot of credit should obviously go to him, but a lot of it was also the adjustments the Lakers made. Uh, what did you kind of see about how the Lakers played Rondo that really limited his deficiencies and, and allowed him to use his strengths more. Yeah, like you mentioned, you know, there have been better Rondo games in his Lakers career as far as scoring. Like he has scored more than 10 points before, but he was just mm-hmm. all around a better player and the Lakers were able to minimize his you know, lack of uh, like on ball guarding on certain Rockets guards by kind of doubling down on Harden when they when Harden would have the ball. Um, they also yeah. were able to put him in a position where he was the primary ball handler and he was getting a little more comfortable with that role because, you know, uh, Friday night was his first basketball in months. And to come into exactly. game one of a semifinal series, that is an incredibly tough ask. Uh, but he really came out tonight and he proved me wrong specifically because I was scared every time he touched the ball. But I mean, literally, like I have nothing but great things to say about Rondo's performance tonight. He did just a little bit of everything. And uh, I'll take a, a quote from Frank Vogel. He just had that swag, you know, so um, <laughs> he, he I've heard more about Rondo's swag than anything else on the Lakers this season. It's it's incredible. He he just does have that kind of like playoff toughness. He is a vet. He's been here before. He's won a title before. And that's that that type of playoff experience is something that this Lakers team is desperately needing because, you know, they still have some younger guys on the team, but they have to really rely on their veterans in some of these crucial games, especially when we're down and out, you know, feeling down and out. Uh, the veterans really are able to like pull everything back in. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing that I found kind of interesting after the first game, my main takeaway was that if Rondo is going to play, he's not going to be able to play next to LeBron. He's going to have to play in those non-LeBron minutes. And surprisingly to me, that wasn't really the adjustment the Lakers made. And I think they actually made a much smarter one in hindsight in that they they benched Dwight Howard for this game. He did not play at all. Uh, he had a pretty awful performance in game one, and I think it became pretty clear to Vogel and to a lot of people that uh, Dwight might not be the best fit for this series. And I don't know how much more we're, we're going to see him uh, for the rest of the series, obviously pending this MRI on, on JaVale McGee's ankle. Um, and so what the Lakers did, they did have Rondo and LeBron play together quite a bit, but it came at the expense of not having a center on the floor or a true center. Uh, they had a lot of lineups where it was Marquise, Kuzma, LeBron, Rondo, and take your pick up any of the other guards, whether it's Caruso, Danny Green, KCP. Um, and what that really did was limit 
the the negative the negative aspects of Rondo, which is mainly his spacing. Rondo, no matter how, even if he makes five threes in a game, the Rockets are never going to guard him out on the perimeter. And however many threes he hits is probably not going to be enough to offset uh, the fact that the Lakers aren't going to have any spacing for LeBron to drive into. But if he's the only person on the floor that can't shoot from deep, then you can kind of live with that. Yeah, it's still it still mucks up the offense a little bit um, because he's not somebody that's going to obviously be sitting in the dunker spot and waiting for an alley oop from LeBron when he drives in. Um, but but it is going to help enough uh, that LeBron is going to have those opportunities to get to the paint and with the Rockets' lack of uh, uh, any rim protectors, then usually that's a pretty easy layup. I also thought a couple of other things I saw from Rondo today that I really appreciated. One, he made a couple of really smart uh, jumpers where, you know, the three-point shot's not falling as it often does not for him. Um, And as he was being guarded by Westbrook, who was guarding Rondo like the Lakers would be guarding Westbrook by just sagging off of him entirely, take a dribble in and take a jumper from the free throw line. That's a shot that he's much more comfortable with, and he drilled a couple of them, including one late in the fourth quarter that was basically the dagger. Uh, the other thing that I was very curious about and, and very interested in the Lakers making this adjustment, you've talked a lot about Rondo not being a good defender, and he's not, but the Lakers made uh, just an, an interesting uh, decision to have him guard Harden at times, and especially in the fourth quarter, he was guarding Harden really the length of the floor. Um, did you see anything about that that you think that might be something that the Lakers go to moving forward? Or do you think it's just a, a one-game sort of gimmick? Well, he's not Lou Dort, right? Like, he's not going to be able to hold Harden <laughs> the way that Lou Dort did in that first series for them. Um, but what they are, I feel like, are going to do more often is they are going to put two people on James Harden and then make the other role players on the Rockets make those shots. Obviously Eric Gordon and the Rockets starters went off tonight, uh, but on the bench perspective for the Rockets, uh, Daniel house was three of seven. No one else from the bench made any threes. So, you know, if you're forcing those role players to make those shots, it's going to eventually work while it, you know, the Rockets obviously went on a tear tonight for three point efficiency. That's not going to happen every night. That absolutely will not happen every night. And so, you know, when you double James Harden and put Rondo as one of the doublers, it's still going to have that same effect of a double, even though Rondo isn't the best defender. But it eliminates from him him from having to guard one of the other guards out on the perimeter. So I think that's really smart. And then forcing James Harden, like you said, to go the length of the court with a body in front of him, it just slows down that Rockets offense a little yeah. bit. And I think that was really key and really smart from Vogel. I don't know if we'll see it the whole series, but I think that if it continues to work, might as well go for it. Yeah. And something that I I think the Lakers usually have success guarding Harden when they are doing uh, multiple different uh, coverages, basically. Uh, I think in the third quarter, and we'll get to that in a second, something that really, um, was a concern for the Lakers defensively was that they kept throwing the double over and over and over again. And at that point, the, the Rockets basically had their their idea of what they were going to do, and they were getting open three-pointers over and over off of it. Um, putting Rondo on him in the fourth quarter and, and letting him guard him basically the length of the floor, 
did two things for me. One is that, it, like you said, it, it did slow down slow down their offense in general, and they, they obviously love to run and, and shoot up jumpers quick. Um, it also kind of gave uh, Harden some trouble getting the ball up the floor. They did create a turnover off of it, and Rondo had five steals overall. Um, and I think they, they kind of use him in the Avery Bradley role, not to say he's as good as the defender as Bradley because he's not, but he does have quick hands, and he can kind of bother uh, bigger guys by by – basically undercutting them and trying to get his hands on the ball. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't think this is something that we're going to see a lot of. And it's obviously the Rockets are going to scheme against it and and find find a way to play off of it. I thought they made the uh, I, I, I don't think I would be doing this, but Harden ran a lot of pick and rolls when when he had Rondo on him and the Lakers were just switching that. And it was actually putting a better defender on Harden. Um, rather than rather than keeping Rondo on them, so I wonder if they kind of change their plan a little bit, and if the Lakers do throw Rondo at them in Game Three, that they just let him ISO against a not good defender. Um, and if that's the case, then the Lakers probably would have to adjust. Um, let's go to the one negative stretch of this game, which was basically the entire third quarter. The Rockets came out guns blazing from the start. They made their first uh, eight. Th- or they, they made eight of their first nine three pointers in the quarter. Finished nine of thirteen from three. Um, went on a fourteen zero run immediately out of the gates and won that quarter forty one to twenty three. Uh, obviously, we talked about the Lakers eventually coming back from it. But do you have any concerns about how the Lakers played in that quarter and whether that? Uh, is going to kind of come back to haunt them in, in the following games? Or do you think it was just a matter of, well, the Rockets made every single shot and the Lakers managed to withstand that? I'm leaning more towards the camp of the Rockets made every single shot. And that's why the Lakers, you know, went down 18 points in that quarter overall. Um, but like you, you have to rotate better on defense, especially with the Rockets, where literally everybody that they have is able to make threes with the exception of Russell Westbrook. Um, obviously, you can leave Westbrook open for the most part and just kind of guard the two or guard the paint, but there are going to be instances where you know Eric Gordon's shot isn't falling or Daniel House's shot isn't falling. And I feel that... I, I feel I would rather see them guard Harden as hard as possible, which I feel like they did every possession and then leave some of these peripheral guys open. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's hard to say because like you, you don't know how much of this was because the Lakers left these guys open and how much of it was because they'd be making these shots anyways. So I'd like to see them rush out more on defense, but I'd also accept that the lock, the, the, the Rockets probably aren't going to shoot that good the rest of the series. Yeah, and I, I think the one thing we can't do is fault their effort. I think they were running and, and swarming to the ball and trying to get to their rotations, but basically what happens on those double teams, the, the Rockets are really, really good at swinging the ball around and just making quick, fast passes because they're used to playing the sweat. They're used to Harden getting doubled. They're used to kind of uh, making those decisions off of them. And it felt like in that quarter, and really throughout most of the game, it wasn't just this quarter, they were getting a ton of open looks, especially from the corners. And to me, that part is concerning. If you're, I I think the Lakers can leave the Rockets open from three at times. They're not as great of a three-point shooting team as you would think for for a team that takes as many of them. Uh, Basically, their idea is 
going with the statistics. We're going to take so many that we're going to hit a bunch and we're going to say three is greater than two. The other team's not going to be able to score enough to, ca to keep up with us, even if we don't shoot particularly well from three. But part of that for the Lakers, I think, is to limit the good shots from three, the, the ones of P.J. Tucker getting it in the corner. That dude is automatic from the corner. You can't just leave him open. And I think they did that a lot. They did that with Eric Gordon as well, who's probably their second best three-point shooter or maybe even their best. Um, so those parts of it are concerning. I did think it was uh, an interesting adjustment from the Lakers. The first game, it seemed like they were closing out much harder on the Rockets three-point shooters. And it was, uh, as we talked about it in, our, in the podcast after that game, uh, it was the fewest three-pointers that the Rockets had shot in the playoffs so far. Uh, they shot at least 44 in every single game against the Thunder in the first round. They shot 39 in that game, mostly because the Lakers were selling out to close out on those three-pointers. Um, and it was allowing the Rockets to get to the rim where they kind of beat the Lakers out their own game. They, they were the ones outscoring the Lakers in the paint. Uh, this game, it was the opposite. The, uh, the, Thun the, sorry, the Rockets took 53 three-pointers. Um, and that's more of their game, how they want to play, but it's also more of how the Lakers want to play. They're kind of forcing them to take those threes and, and betting that they won't hit enough of them while the Lakers are getting to the rim and really protecting it. Points in the paint tonight, Lakers uh, won that 54 to 26, so they just absolutely dominated it. Um, moving forward, what, what do you think? Obviously, it's easy to go based off of the results, but uh, what do you think is the right strategy? Do you think that they need to be selling out on these three-pointers because of the Rockets' you know, ability to, to go as hot as they did in the third quarter? Or do you think uh, the game two strategy is more right of kind of letting their shooters shoot and, and crowding the paint more? I'd like to see a zone, honestly. I'd like to see them accept that the Rockets are going to shoot threes more often than anything else. Um, obviously, the Rockets have shown that they are able to exploit the paint like they did in game one. But, I mean, there's different ways to approach it, but I, I, I think guarding the three is definitely the right call because you these guys are good shooters when they do get open, and that's the problem is that a, a lot of times tonight they had the time to kind of settle in and take the shots. They weren't really – there was a couple contested shots that they make where you're like, well, crap, like there's nothing we can do about that. But like you said, there was at least two or three times yeah. where P.J. Tucker was open in the left corner and it was just automatic because he's P.J. Tucker and he makes that shot in his sleep. Yeah. But you know, going forward, I definitely think that they need to uh, yeah, rotate out on that and, and really make the Rockets play the inside because I, I would put money on AD swatting away more shots than the Rockets can really make at the rim or, you know, I'm assuming, you know, hopefully JaVale gets better and he can play a few more minutes in the next game. But if we bring Dwight in and uh, Dwight can guard the paint for a little bit, that would work too. But also Dwight didn't show that, you know, he was pretty well prepared for this series in the first game. So I definitely, I do want to see them uh, guard the three a lot more. Yeah, so... Um... Obviously, JaVale only played eight minutes tonight. Dwight didn't play at all. Uh, part of that was uh, McGee leaving the game with an ankle injury, and he's getting an MRI, so we're hoping that he's okay. I did think in the first quarter, uh, especially uh, JaVale had a, had a really good start to the game where he was deterring a lot of 
uh, Rockets drives at the rim. He didn't really, uh, he only registered one block, but I think he did just keep them from putting up shots at the rim early on. Uh, the zone defense thing, I think, is also an interesting aspect of this. And Vogel did go to it for a little bit, I think, in the second quarter uh, when Harden was off the floor. And I think that's when they can do it because in those instances, Russell Westbrook is the Rockets' decision maker. And as we saw tonight, uh, that usually kind of plays into the Lakers' hands. Westbrook is a guy who, you know, if he doesn't have to think about what decision he has to make, he will torch you because he can get to the rim uh, faster than anybody. He's athletic. He can finish over anybody. Um, and he's he's a very, very dangerous weapon, as Frank Vogel said in his postgame co- uh, conference. But when he has to make those decisions about, well, the paint's crowded. I can't really go in there. I have to make the right pass. Then he's not always doing that. He'll force things. He will, whether it's a pass or a drive, he will force them. And I think he had seven turnovers tonight. Uh, didn't shoot the ball well at all, like you said earlier, that he took a ton of three-pointers, but that's not really his game. I think he was one for seven tonight uh, from three. So I think this is something that the Lakers seems, it seems to me that they've they've scouted this, that they know Westbrook making those decisions is playing into their hands. And whether that means when the two of them are playing, that means they double Harden and force Westbrook to, to beat them in those four-on-three situations, or if it's throwing a zone out there and making him think uh, about where, what pass he has to make there. Um, Vogel is a really, really smart defensive coach. And even if you have some gripes with, you know, maybe he doubled too much or he did this or that, he does have a penchant for really throwing different looks at guys. And I think that's really keeping the Rockets on their toes. And I don't know exactly what he's going to do in game three, but I do expect that there will be some of those different uh, changes to the scheme, both against Harden and for Westbrook, to make them as inefficient as possible. Because if those two aren't aren't clicking, and even if it's just one of them isn't clicking, then the Rockets' offense as a whole isn't clicking. Like everything goes through whichever one of those two is on the floor at that time. Um, so I think really limiting those guys, and especially Westbrook, making him do too much as he loves to do, is is a good idea for the Lakers. One last point on that too. Uh, every Houston Rockets starter um, shot above 50% or 50% or more from three and from the field, except for Russell Westbrook. He was one of seven from three, four of 15 from the field. He was the only one that was below 50%. And he was turning the ball over. He got rebounds, but they were free rebounds for the most part. So um yeah overall i mean russell westbrook's got to be pretty unhappy about his performance in that game whether he comes out energized for game three or just kind of you know curls up into a ball and you know feels sorry for himself is one thing or another but like overall you have to scheme around the fact that russell westbrook needs to make like you said he needs to make those decisions where he has to do one thing or the other thing and then he tries to do them both or you know does the wrong thing or whatever um, and, and I did note during the game that um, it was an interesting development that Russell Westbrook was no longer scowling and yelling at toddlers on the sideline. So I think the Lakers did their job pretty well on him. Well, the, the baby started um, yelling back too. <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody puts babies in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh the last real talking point of this game, I think, is the fourth quarter. 
obviously, as we talked about, the, the Rockets came back and took a lead in the third quarter, uh, really shell-shocked the Lakers, it seemed. But, um, you know, behind LeBron, I thought, for the most part, the, the Lakers really did come back in that fourth quarter. They won that quarter by 10 points um, and basically got a pretty comfortable win despite uh, the Rockets' hot shooting in, in most of the second half. What was your main takeaway, I guess, from that fourth quarter about, and, and what do you think really helped the Lakers pull out the win? So my main takeaway from the fourth quarter, other than the fear and panic, because I know how unsafe <laughs> like a 12-point lead is in basketball, um, was how excellent Rajon Rondo played, which feels so bizarre to say after you know the regular season and all of the Rondo hate that's been going on. But he really, really did play well, and he hit a shot. Um, like you said, he was left open at the three-point line. He drove into the free-throw line and then shot a jumper that went in, and that's when I knew the game was over because like, if Rondo was able to hit that, like, yeah. we're golden. That, that was it. So um, really, it was the play of Rajon Rondo. Um, overall, though, I, I did really love the, the intensity from everyone in that quarter. I feel like um, Caruso really played well. I think it was Caruso. I don't remember specifically. Uh, but there was a couple uh, possessions where Caruso and LeBron connected overall in the game that I really like to see. Um, getting Caruso that that extra connection with the King. Um, Anthony Davis, you know, obviously he was dominant all game, but he continued that domination in the fourth quarter. But overall, it was just a really good team win. And that 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 was what was the main takeaway in the fourth quarter is that the team was really cohesive and they were actively helping each other towards that win, whoever was on the court. Yeah, um, and I thought Vogel made a, a smart move of starting that fourth quarter basically with the same lineup that did a lot of the damage in the first half, which was Caruso, LeBron, Kuzma, Morris, and Rondo. Um, and again, like we talked about you know, in the first half, that was a smart way of getting the benefits of Rondo in terms of his passing, which, we, which he was mostly on point with tonight, um, and his playmaking while also not crowding the paint for LeBron. And I think LeBron kind of started that quarter. Uh, he had a driving, he had a massive dunk literally just to start that quarter. Um, had another drive that got called for an offensive foul, but he routinely got to the rim in that quarter. And the Rockets, obviously, as a part of their small ball uh, way of playing, they don't have rim protectors. They're not trotting out Tyson Chandler uh, anytime soon. So anytime... LeBron can get to the rim and not have, you know, three, four bodies, uh, you know, swarming him because they're, they're not respecting the Lakers shooters. He's going to score. They're just not going to be able to stop him, whether it's, you know, drawing a foul or, or dunking or a layup or whatever. Uh, the other part of the fourth quarter, I thought early on, they got a ton of turnovers from the Rockets. And part of that was, uh, you know, the Rockets playing without Harden on the floor and, and you know, the Lakers kind of took advantage of Westbrook's decision-making. Um, this game, I think one of the main differences from the, the from the first game, maybe even the most important one, was the points off of turnovers and the fast break points. Um, you know, the last game, the Lakers kind of got demolished on points off turnovers. This time they won that battle 27 to 18, um, and they had 20 fast break points overall to the Rockets' six. So they did a much better job of both getting back in transition but also really pushing the pace. And, you know, those Caruso and LeBron plays really stand out. 
there was, I believe, a LeBron to Kuzma play, uh, LeBron to Caruso play uh, as well in that fourth quarter. And, you know, I think that really helped settle the Lakers after what was an awful third quarter. They were able to get those easy shots, and it really started on the defensive end of being able to get some stops. And, you know, part of it is the Rockets missing the shots that they made in the third quarter. But um, what I'm most pleased is that they didn't wilt like I thought that they were about to. Um, And I think a lot of that credit should go to LeBron, but also, like you mentioned as well, Rondo being the veteran there and, and really settling things as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Rondo... Um, has been in these situations before he's been in them pretty much his entire career where he just kind of has to settle into the role of the veteran in the playoffs. Um, And this was one of those situations where, yeah, I didn't, I felt really comfortable with how he was playing and I going forward, I honestly would like to see him about as much as we saw him tonight. If he's able to keep up this performance, obviously if he has a game where he struggles, Vogel needs to recognize that and take him out. I feel like Rondo sometimes does have a longer leash than some of the other rotation players. Yeah. But uh, obviously he showed why that leash can be as long with his performance tonight. And it really helped the Lakers win uh, the game. Yeah. And I do think that is an important uh, thing to note. Rondo was a plus 28 tonight, which is just unbelievable. <laughs> We're usually... Uh, the the story all season long has been about uh, you know Caruso being the plus minus king and, and Rondo being that plus minus jester for lack of a better word. Uh, tonight, man, the Lakers seemed to go on runs every time Rondo was on the floor, and he had some shaky moments I thought in the third quarter, but for the most part, uh, he was phenomenal. And you know I have no problem with him playing heavy minutes if he is playing this well. Although I think the Lakers need to keep in mind that even when he is producing statistically, he, he might be hurting the team based off of the spacing. Although like we mentioned a few times, they found some workarounds for that. Um, But yeah, the point is that Vogel needs to kind of just be flexible with Rondo's minutes um, and have a shorter leash because when Rondo has those poor games, they are really poor and they come at a major expense and they, basically remind me of how Westbrook looked tonight that, you know, it feels like every time he's on the floor, it is a positive for the other team. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously tonight that was not the case with Rondo. So hopefully that, that, uh, that, that is something that continues over the course of the series, but um, chances are there are going to be bad games as well. And I'm going to be looking very closely at how Vogel uh, handles those moments as well. Um, anything else to add on, on the game overall? I would like to see more Dion Waiters. He was three minutes tonight. Yeah, he did hurt his groin, so we'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, I don't know how much he's gonna play. I, I don't. I, I get that. I get the idea of maybe putting him out there because he can be instant offense and he can be a little bit of a playmaker. But his defense also kind of worries me. Um, and in this series, I think you have to be on point defensively almost every single possession. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. If he is healthy, maybe Vogel does give him a little bit more time um, in the absence of a guy like Dwight, who obviously didn't get any playing time tonight. 
I think it really right. depends on if well, JaVale McGee comes back though too, because you know, if JaVale is out, then we have to either start Anthony Davis at center going forward, or we have to bring Dwight into the starting rotation. I don't know which would be better there. Um, but yeah. we would we would need someone else to step up into the rotation other than, you know, playing guys more minutes. So he could be that guy or it could be, you know, I don't know, Jared Dudley or something. But uh yeah, over overall though, I think tonight was a <laughs> tonight was a great game and uh going forward I think that the mindset, yeah, like you said, every single possession there has to be great defensive intensity on the Rockets. Look, all, all I know, um, and this will be my last one on the game, is that Anthony Davis made, or, or right, let, me, let me rephrase, Anthony Davis cooked basically every single person that the, the Rockets threw at him like they were a Popeye's chicken sandwich. So yeah. I, I had to get that one in for Gary because I missed it on the first in the last podcast. And, you know, we're all about getting the sponsorship. And I, I'm i still upset that Popeyes has not called us or their representatives have not called our representatives who are ourselves. Um, I still have never had the, the spicy chicken sandwich. So, you know, when we do get that sponsorship, I will gladly um, go and get one. Listen, whoever the CEO of Popeyes is, Mr. Popeye. Um <laughs> Do you, do you hear what what your 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 lack of your lack of paying us is doing? A young a young man is going without the deliciousness of your chicken sandwich, all because you are too ignorant to sponsor our podcast. And I will the not most, stand for this any longer. The most hilarious thing too is that I had KFC for dinner. So, <laughs> man, I'm I'm so sorry. I had Blaze. Shout out to LeBron. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> this one came on the heels of, of what corporation I gave my money to. Um, <laughs> all right, I guess that will be it. Uh, just as a reminder to everybody to uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, etc. Keep an eye out for the podcast on Tuesday. We might, hopefully, be doing something really special for that one, um, and I'm really excited about that. Um, also, as always, keep checking the website, LakersOutsiders.com. There's a lot of great work being done by a lot of very, very talented pers- people um, and also me. Uh, follow us on social media at Lakers Outsiders, both on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Facebook.com slash Lakers Outsiders. Kyle, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, I don't remember. At Kyle Marks 13. Yes, there it is. And uh, mine is also at H-O-N-I-A-H-M. Um, any final words, Kyle, before we sign off? I get to do the shout out. Ooh. Okay, good, because I I forgot who, who I wanted to uh, do it for. Um, <laughs> let me sign off. You can do it after. Okay. Uh, all right. For Kyle Hartwick. Um, and Gary Kester partying his life out wherever the hell he is and not doing work. Uh, this is Hania Marian signing off. Shout out to Mari Carroll. Let's go.